It's all well and good to talk about the benefits of using your own money for real estate investing. But what if you don't happen to have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in your savings account? Chapter 7, Money, Money, Who's Got the Money? Goals for Chapter 7, Understand the Options for Funding Your First Purchase. Understand how your first purchase should differ from later purchases. Evaluate the pros and cons of various funding options. Understand leverage, what it means and when it's useful. Step 1, Find the Money. Some of the Get Rich Quick Real Estate courses will tell you not to worry about money, Find the deals and the money will follow. I think that's a great way to lose out on some great deals and potentially lose your deposit. You have to know how much you can afford and then go looking for deals in that price range. Later, when you've made some connections and have some experience, then you can forget about the money. It's fun to talk about investing in real estate, but when we start thinking about coming up with large sums of money, it can get scary. To pay for your first property, there are only three options. You can use your money, other people's money, or OPM, or a combination. You may be saying, why even talk about using my money? Why shouldn't we always use OPM? The answer to that question will vary for each of us. Often, OPM comes with strings attached. The person, bank, or private lender who's giving us money usually wants some level of control over what happens with the project. They may want a share of the profit. There may be regulatory requirements or mandatory insurance. OPM is normally more expensive than funding a project yourself. When you explore the various options, weigh them carefully. Don't be so enamored with the idea of OPM that you're blind to its drawbacks. Finding hidden assets. Whenever you're called on to make up your mind and you're hampered by not having any, Pete Hine, Crooks. It's all well and good to talk about the benefits of using your own money for real estate investing. But what if you don't happen to have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting in your savings account? Let's see if we can find some hidden assets. Retirement savings. If you participate in any type of employee-sponsored retirement savings plan, there's a good chance you can borrow against the plan to purchase real estate. Some retirement plans and 401ks allow you to hold real estate as an investment, like a turnkey property, with certain restrictions. Leverage your equity. If you have a lot of equity in your own home, you may consider taking out a second mortgage or home equity line of credit called a HELOC. When embarking on a career in real estate, it's a good idea to establish a HELOC anyway so you can have immediate access to funds should an emergency arise. It costs nothing unless you need it, so why not do the paperwork now and be prepared? Credit cards. When the market is on the rise, you can use credit cards to finance closing costs and maybe even may even be able to take out a cash, cash advance for the down payment. Many investors finance renovations with a 0% interest rate card, gives them a year to pay it off before the interest kicks in. Be careful with this approach. You need to be sure you have a plan to pay off the card before the promotional zero interest period is over. Most banks will not allow you to use credit cards for a down payment, so talk to your lender before choosing this option. Get out while the getting is good. If you have a stock or bond portfolio, see if it's a good time to sell a set of assets that can be used for real estate investing. Done right, real estate should return a higher percentage of gain than stocks or bonds when you factor in the tax advantages. OPM. 
Now we come to a topic that is near and dear to my heart. OPM, or other people's money, is a great way to increase your buying power. When thinking of where to find OPM, start close to home. Parents, adult children, friends, and relatives are great sources of investment capital. Sure, you can talk to big-time investors and try to get them interested in your project, but save that for later when you understand the process better and can answer their questions. For now, start small and put together a few people who have some cash that needs a place to grow or take Mrs. Strong's approach of crowdfunding. When I bought my first Airbnb property, I put together $90,000 with two friends and we were able to put in a strong cash offer with a quick closing date and secure a great deal on a lovely fixer-upper chalet in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. I borrowed the money from them at 5% interest, about 1.5% over the then current rate. After a year, I had done some renovations and went for a conventional loan. I was able to finance $118,000, enough to pay back my friends with interest, pay myself back, and take out some additional cash for another project. Visit eyimbook.com for ideas on structuring this type of arrangement. Cash or leverage? Once you put some money together, you have a decision to make. Buy with cash or leverage. Leverage means, like with a lever, that you're using something small to move something big. Two friends, Claire and Debbie, are getting into real estate investing. Claire is conservative and Debbie is daring. Both have $100,000 to invest. Claire finds a nice house for $100,000. She rents it out for $1,400 a month. She pays the taxes and insurance and pockets the rest, about $1,100 a month. Debbie found five properties that she liked. She put 20% down on five $100,000 properties. Each property has, now has a mortgage of $80,000. Between mortgages, taxes, and insurance, she's putting about $700 per month into her pocket for each unit, or $35,000. So why is this even a decision? Isn't it obvious that Claire is leaving a lot of money on the table by being so conservative? Leveraging may sound like a no-brainer, but there are pros and cons to each strategy. Look what happens to Debbie if the market goes down just 10%. Now her properties are each worth $90,000, and she's just lost 50% of her investment. She's lost $10,000 on each property times five properties. If she had to sell now, half of her money is gone. What do you think happens when the market goes down 20%? Her houses would be worth $80,000 each, which is exactly how much she owes the bank. Her entire $100,000 investment is lost. As long as the properties stay rented, she's okay. She can pay her bills and still make a profit. But if the rental market sags or she needs a major repair, it won't be long before she's putting properties up for sale or losing them to foreclosure. Claire put 100% of her money into one property. If the market goes down 20%, she's only lost $20,000. Not ideal, but if she needed some money, she could take out a loan against the property. She wouldn't be forced to sell during a down market, even if the house was temporarily vacant. Using too much leverage is how people lose everything when the market turns. On the other hand, if the market's going up, leverage is great. If the market gains 10%, Debbie would gain 50% on her investment. If she sold, she'd make $50,000 on a $100,000 investment. Since Claire only bought one property, she would only gain $10,000. Use what we learned in chapter six. Doing that research will help to determine where we are in the, in the cycle and help you decide whether to use cash or leverage. The no cash option. 
In most financing scenarios, you'll need to invest at least some of your money. In the no-cash option, it's 100% OPM. In this scenario, you put no money down, either by financing 100% or by selling paper in a flip. There are various ways to finance 100% of your chosen property, but be aware, by maxing out your financing, you're leaving yourself no cushion, no margin of error. If the market is at the bottom, but you're starting to see signs that it's on the rise, or if you can be reasonably sure that the market is on the upswing, full financing is worth exploring. Usually, to get 100% financing, you'll need a combination of sources, although sometimes the seller is willing to fund your purchase for a higher than average interest rate. Most banks and mortgage companies are willing to mortgage 80% of the appraised value of a property. If you've got a great deal and the appraisal comes in at a higher price than what you're paying, you can work with the bank to finance the full 80%. For example, you've got a house under contract for $250,000, but the appraisal comes in at $315,000. At an 80% loan to value, your loan amount would be $252,000, more than enough to pay 100% for the house. It's rare to find a property that has been so heavily discounted, but it's not impossible. If the appraisal is higher than the sale price, that should reduce or eliminate the amount that you'll have to bring to the closing. <clears throat> the difference between your loan amount and the purchase price can come from a number of places. Some lending institutions are willing to give you a second loan for the remaining balance. In this case, you'd have two loans, one for 80% and one probably at a higher interest rate for 20%. Your options for the 20% loan are the same as above, friends and family, investors, the seller, and smaller local banks and credit unions who will hold the loan in-house. This is called a portfolio loan. Tis the season. <clears throat> when using conventional financing for all or part of your purchase, you'll be subject to specific rules surrounding the source of the down payment. Lending institutions require that you explain the source of any money deposited into your account in the last two or three months. If you're using some of that money for your down payment, there are rules about that. For example, only family members can give you a gift. If it's not a gift, but a loan, that has to be factored into your debt to income ratio. To avoid these kinds of questions, the money should be seasoned, which means sitting in your account for at least two monthly statement cycles. Get paid to buy. It can be possible to get some cash back at the closing. If you plan some property renovations right away, it's helpful to have some cash in hand. Of course, you can use your own resources, but there are other options. The seller can give you cash back at the closing. This can be negotiated at the time of the offer or after the home inspection if you find items that need to be addressed. If you're getting conventional financing, there is probably a limit to the amount of cash that the seller can contribute. Normally, the bank will want you to have some of your own cash in the project some skin in the game. You can apply for a 203K or other type of rehab loan. These are loans that allow you a pre-agreed budget to make repairs and improvements to the property. Normally, you have to do the renovation first according to a schedule of work that you prepare and the bank approves. There will be milestones, and when each milestone is met, you'll receive a chunk of the money that is in reserve. Often you'll have to put up your own money to pay contractors and then be reimbursed after the fact. Veterans and some professionals like physicians are eligible for no money down mortgages for their primary residence. 
If you're eligible and you're planning to live in the home, definitely take advantage of this option. Chapter 7 Action Items Get pre-approved for a mortgage from a local lender. Talk to friends and family to identify people interested in being part of your project. Find investor groups in your area and start to make connections. Compile a list of people who you can call when you find a great deal.